Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio, Brian Moritz, a bit of a delay uh, in this episode this week. My apologies. I have been the tardy one between the NCAA collapsing upon itself partially and my health collapsing upon itself fully over the course of the last week. Not a lot of time to get a podcast in, but Brian, uh, ever patient, has been willing to uh, push back this week's episode to now. So, Brian, my thanks to you again. How are you doing today? I'm do- I'm doing great. I'm pr- happy to see you podcasting while sick. You know, you're, you're taking one for the team. I know it's you know it's always good when you have when you're sick, especially with a lung problem, to do something where you have to talk a lot. And yeah. and that's a real that that you know I'm glad we can help with that. But no, I'm glad. I'm sorry you're sick. I'm glad you're at least feeling better-ish to be able to to function slightly um but happy to happy to to indulge any delays that need to be and uh do another mid-afternoon podcast here we were hoping for some breaking news today um on on college sports on anything um because yeah we might have some we might have some actually now that uh okay so um this is this isn't breaking news per se but this is interesting so in light of let's just kind of start with the ncaa thing from last week and mm-hmm. and roll with that. So as most of you know, hopefully by now, the NCAA crafted, uh, or they didn't craft, the FBI crafted an investigation around NCAA rules, which is a little bit unusual. And it ended up with a situation where 10 people were arrested and charged with federal crimes uh, in relation to a variety of different things, including uh, you know, everything from fraud to, uh, you know, bribery. I mean, just a lot of really like not positive things. And so we've been dealing with the fallout of that uh, over the course of the last week. And, you know, Brian, as a former college basketball reporter, you're certainly a good resource for us here in terms of what exactly, you know, we should have expected when we heard mm-hmm. about this. So maybe let's start there. I mean, um, you know, you you covered college basketball. You you were in the middle of a scandal. Not you personally. You just reported on it. You weren't in the right. middle of it. Um, so when you heard about the charges and you heard about the investigation, were you, I guess, were you surprised that it was going on uh, as described in the affidavits? And were you subscri- sub- surprised that the FBI was pursuing these sorts of cases? I, I mean, to answer the question, no, I don't think I was surprised at what was being alleged. You know, the money, the the money being exchanged through kind of shoe companies and that and and and, and that going on. I mean, this is this is as old, not as old as college basketball, but you know, raw recruits came out in 1987, and the Emory envelope was a few years before that at Kentucky. So this is not like something that's new. Um, the kind of thing that's always kind of you know. Um, I never thought from my experience that it's as widespread as this kind of um, scandal. So I'll, I'll use the phrase cheating. I don't think it's sh- whether it's cheating or not. We'll just use it as kind of shorthand for conversation's sake. I don't feel like this r- is necessarily as rampant throughout all of college basketball. Maybe when you get at the higher levels, it is. But certainly like at the at the Atlantic 10 level and certainly the America East level, there's not envelopes of cash or wire transfers happening at, uh, uh, on that um, to, to recruits. I do. I was surprised that the end that the FBI was involved. And look, I think one of the worst takes possible here there of the many bad hot takes that happen. I think one of the worst hot takes and Kornheiser, I think is where I first heard this is basically the FBI has nothing better to do than investigate college basketball. Well, 
a if a crime if these are actual crimes being committed like fraud and wiretapping and all that then you investigate them and b the fbi can do two things at once how well or how poorly you know your violence may vary but it's not like they're not investigating russia because oh hey we're looking at college basketball um so what what, what did surprise me about it was and, and, and it's only been about a week. So, you know, maybe this is going to be a, a slower moving, slower building, bigger story. Um, certainly, and it, it, it got Patino and it grabbed him quickly. But I don't know. I just, I all, all the uh, the stories and columns that I saw talking about how this could be like the end of college basketball as we know it and the end of the NCAA as we know it. I don't know. I, I felt that was a little too early to call that. I felt that was a little too... Um, you know, to to doomsday. Certainly, I think the potential is there for kind of a lot of how we how college basketball is operated and stuff like that. But that's kind of predicated on that they're still investigating and there are more coming. And I still think you're seeing like kind of like the classic college basketball defense of these are rogue actors or rogue assistant coaches or you know Patino's been doing crap like this for years and it finally got to him and something like that. And so. I don't think you're seeing a lot of conversation, a lot of talk about like the systemic, you know, issues in college sports and, and big time college basketball. But I don't think so. You're, you're seeing much more on, on the on the personal individual level, and until you start getting at that bigger systemic level, I don't see the big change is going to come. I don't know. Well, what do you think on it? I think I think that's fair, and I think. But I think from the standpoint of what has been uncovered so far, yeah, you could look at that and say, well. Yeah, you've got some assistant coaches here. You've got some shoe company people here. You've got some agents, some financial people. But there's not, there's not the uh, the powder keg that you would expect would maybe blow up college basketball. But I do think right. in in looking at who they arrested and who they charged and the likelihood that those people are going to flip and and talk about what they know, I think that the seeds have been planted for a mushrooming story as time okay. goes by here. Because if you think about it, you know, they they were able to tab, you know, assistance at two major college basketball powers, Louisville and Arizona. And as a result, the head coach at one of those universities got fired, Rick Pitino. Uh, you know, Sean Miller at Arizona is the other one. And, uh, you know, they went radio silent for a week. They came right. out with a very weak statement I think two days ago saying we're shocked that, that this is going on, which I mean, come on, mm-hmm. the guy, the guy worked for Sean Miller for a decade. Right. And, and then today they announced that they're going to have their media day, but they're only going to answer basketball related questions. Oh, which, that, all, that always works well when you drop that. That's yeah, always that, a good yeah, The media is always like, Oh yes, of course we won't mention a thing about this. And it's, right. it's nuts. Um, so I think what you're, you're going to start to see things rolling downhill a little bit as far as, okay, we've got these people. They're not going to want to go to jail to cover up the sins of the head coach who always knows everything. I mean, if there's one thing that we can be pretty sure of with this stuff, it's that there are no real rogue actors in college sports. No, No. that's in fact, in, in raw recruits, there was, uh, there's a whole chapter about the code. Like that is you're an assistant coach and you're doing this. You're it's, it sounds mafia because it basically is like, you're expected to take the fall and not say anything. And if you do, you end up being blackballed. That's what happened with Bruce Pearl for however long. He broke the code and it took him forever to, he had to coach at D3 and had to be so good there that somebody had to give him a shot. Um, but that's, but job, but this is, you know, it gets different when you're staring at a federal indictment rather than just losing a job or, you know. Yeah. Now I do think that there is a question to be raised 
and it's been raised by uh, you know people. Joan O'Sara wrote brought this up. Uh, there's been several sports uh, law professors that have brought this up. This question of whether the FBI has the jurisdiction to be pursuing this because you know the the whole concept of fraud and uh, everything but the bribery charges are predicated on the idea that the 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 fraud came from defrauding the university that's, that's a good point yeah of eligible players right I, I think the flip side there though is the the argument that there's federal funding involved with these institutions and these coaches are acting on behalf of the institutions and mm-hmm. so that is what elevates it to fraud we'll see how that plays out i'll be curious to see what happens right as far as the league's concerned there or the association as the case may be but that's something to keep an eye on. But it is starting to peel back some other layers, which I think is interesting. I mentioned the Sean Miller Arizona thing where we haven't heard a whole lot yet. And then there was a story that popped up today uh, about an hour ago from when we're recording this. And I'm just going to read this to you. This is from okay. Andrew Wolfson at the Louisville Courier Journal. Okay. When University of Louisville Athletic Director Tom Jurich or Jurich announced a new $160 million 10 year deal with athletic apparel giant Adidas on August 25th, a reporter asked him if some of the proceeds would be shared with the university. It's for the athletic department. Jurich replied. It's for these student athletes. It's been earmarked for them. In fact, under the current deal with Adidas, which expires July 1st, 98% of the cash provided by Adidas goes to one person. Rick Pitino, the now suspended head coach. In 2015-16, for example, $1.5 million went to Pitino under his personal services agreement with the apparel company, while just $25,000 went to the program, according to a contract obtained by the Courier-Journal under the state's Public Records Act. The year before, Pitino also got $1.5 million, while the department banked just $10,000. was it fair for Jurek to say the Adidas money was for student athletes? Kenny Klein, the department spokesman, said it was. Quote, players come here in part because of Coach Patino. Coaching is part of what we give to student athletes. End quote. Wow. Uh, that again, that's Andrew Wolfson from the Little Courier Journal. So uh, I think, uh, you know, and it's funny because there's been a lot of, of people, uh, a lot of coaches in the uh, Louisville Athletic Department, a lot of boosters at Louisville, kind of trying to go to bat for Jurek and and bring him back sure. as a result of, of saying, well, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't know it was going on, which is, of course, the same thing that was being said for Patino. He didn't know it was going on. But, right. man, like, that just kind of illustrates, I think, some of the layers of the onion that get peeled back in this particular type of case where, um, you know, I don't think anybody really has an accounting of where the money goes in college athletics, uh, mm-hmm. and particularly in college basketball. I mean, to some degree – it operates its own shadow economy, even at a higher level than football. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think that maybe the, the average person won't care too much, but I think there will be some some college presidents and trustees and, and people who are kind of close to the game who are probably going to look at these things and say, now, wait a minute, why, that's, this is, you know, whether or not there's provable corruption, there's a tremendous amount of potential corruption in the system that we've got set up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, and it's you know, you know, and, and it, it's funny to hear that reporting. And you know, Patino's never been the most sympathetic character in in college basketball. So you know, I think that you know what what is interesting. You know, like all the, the that's great reporting on that. So two things pop into my head. One is what an advantage that Mike Shashevsky has, or if you're at a public school now, 
that you that you're at a at a school like Louisville or Kentucky that those records are foyable and uh, yeah. at Duke they're not or a private school they're not. I pick on Duke because it just popped into my head. But it's I mean USC is another one. They had, a, had an assistant coach that was picked up in this thing. So no, I mean there is a little bit of a of a benefit to being at a, a Northwestern or a USC or a Vanderbilt yeah. or someplace like that. Absolutely. Right. But, and, and it's also like, you know, I, I, I kind of get back to the kind of rogue actor and it's coming, it becomes about Patino and what Patino knew and, and that, and, and yeah, the, the shadow economy of, of college basketball um, is, I mean, again, it's nothing new. Sonny Vaccaro started this 30 years ago now. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I so I wonder kind of going forward, is there, a per, you know, what's the prescriptive of this? Yeah. You know, you know, the, the, the loud thing was get rid of one and done, but I don't think that's, that doesn't strike me as, you know, maybe part of a larger thing. Um, I you think, know. I, I mean, from, and, and look, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as much as anybody, but I just, I feel like it's a, it's a broken system that mm-hmm. everybody's fine with being broken to a degree. Um, you know, it's, the, at the end of the day, I think the only way that the system gets changed is if there is a, a chance of legal peril touching athletic directors, touching presidents of universities, touching trustees because of the way that money is exchanging hands under the table in relation to college basketball. Um, you know, it's it's certainly not a surprise that any of this is going on if you follow the sport at all. If you want to change it moving forward, I think you have to be realistic about the economy that has grown up around college basketball that doesn't allow for talent to be compensated in an equitable manner above the table. And so everything happens below the table. And that's, you know, I mean, there's stories that have popped up in this where, you know, one recruits family took $100,000 from Under Armour and then didn't go to the school that Under Armour wanted and instead went to a Nike school. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, what the hell's Under Armour going to do at that point? They're going to report them, right? Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's, you know, the, the it's interesting because a lot of these coaches have gone into this saying, well, you know, the the worst that's going to happen to me if I engage in this behavior is that I'll get caught by the NCAA, who doesn't have subpoena power. I'll deny everything. I might get a show cause penalty. I'll go scout. I'll, I'll go, go scout. scout. Go scout for the NBA. Go scout for you know. Become a consultant for the shoe company that I was I was getting money for and get paid like that, and then right. go to the pros, something like that. Be an assistant somewhere. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Yeah. It's you know. Eventually, you have to somehow allow for the the shadow economy has to become like you said an above the table economy. Like it has to be. I mean, there will always be. You know, there'll always be bad actors. There'll always be a black market along with a regular market. But I do think you have to start allowing, you know, the amount amounts of money involved here. You have to start, I think, you know, it comes down, you have to start allowing for students, student athletes to be able to profit off of their own likeness. And, you know, what I've said for a long time is the first and most and easiest step for this is you don't have to have the schools actually paying athletes a salary or a stipend on top of, you know, they can still give a scholarship on that, but just get rid of the, if a booster wants to give you a hundred thousand dollars, whatever, fool and his money are parted or, you know, booster can spend, spend that, spend the money however they want it or however they want. What would make that, what would really make that interesting though, is let's say, 
Um, you know, in your example, you take a hundred thousand dollars under armor wants to wants to pay for a hundred thousand dollars and you go to a Nike school and under armor says, well, I want to enter into a contract with this now 18 year old adult who can, who can do it. And I personally think that's fine. If under, however, under armor wants to spend its money, it's fine. Whatever the kid, if the kid can make that money, fine. But the economy of college sports has always been kind of built around these apparel shoe deals with coaches and with schools themselves so you go to a nike school you go to an adidas school and eventually i think that's going to you know that's going to be the have to be the first thing that goes in this if you if you or or you can have an adidas school but if i if nike's you know if i enter into a deal as a player with nike i'm wearing my nikes and well nba players wear different brand shoes and it doesn't you know, doesn't cause the world to end or, or anything like well, that. Well, I mean, it, it kind of depends on what sort of college basketball you want. Uh, you know, and, and this is where I think, like, people want, to some degree, it seems, they want the facade of what we currently have. You know, I, so I'll, I'll use IU as an example. I, uh, a lot okay. Of, a lot of people have argued that, you know, IU doesn't get the top recruits because they're just, it's not a cool place for people to go. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, the, what IU did 25 and, years ago doesn't matter to kids today, and, and the candy stripe pants are dumb, and all of this. And, and, but Lexington, Kentucky is cool. Well, and that's the thing, and it's or Lawrence, Kansas is cool. Right. I mean, you right. know, so that's where I get irritated because you know, as an IU fan and a guy that works here and it's followed IU basketball for a long time. I mean, it's not like there was no cheating in the 70s and 80s when IU was great, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become much more systemized now, and you don't also don't have a, a Hall of Fame coach uh, able to pull in players and, and get them to play at a certain level, which is what IU had for those the, that period of time. Um, you know, so if you're in Indiana or if you're a you know another school at that level, general a St. John's or a you know a school that used to be good but isn't as good anymore. I mean, what are you saying? Are you saying, well, you can't participate at the highest level of college sports unless you're willing to pay under the, the table for players? Well, what the hell is the point of paying under the table at that point? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, that's just the way college basketball is. Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky are providing these payments to athletes, and they are, even though they weren't named in the invi- in- indictment. This is how the environment of college basketball works, and I, I did – prove me otherwise. Prove me otherwise, Okay. 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 Um, not, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the listener. I say, um, I got, I got papers to grade. I can't yeah. go be, I can't go be proven stuff. Right. Um, you know, if, if the established price for a five-star player is $150,000, which is what we saw in the indictment, um, you either have to participate in that economy if you want to participate at an elite level, or you accept the fact that you're not going to be an elite school. Well, is that what people want? Um, you know, and you look at the, some of the schools that are ending up you know, under scrutiny here, and a lot of them are social climbers to some degree. Yeah. Uh, you know, the 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 U- USC is a great example. Uh, Alabama, right. who had a they had a, an assistant coach resign. That's another one. That's you know they've suddenly made inroads in recruiting. How are they doing that? Well, we we see how. Right. So I think people, fans, and athletic departments and everything have to be realistic about you know do we want this underground? and act like, oh, this is amateur athletics and, and everybody's an amateur and they're going, you know, like their focus is education? Or do we want to just acknowledge the fact that this is a, a system that requires compensation to the top players and doesn't necessarily require it to all the players and that that compensation can take place outside of the normal, here's what we give you in scholarship thing? 
If you're willing to do that, great. But it requires the NCAA to say, you know what, this amateurism thing, it's a facade. It's a way to keep our, our members from paying taxes. And that's the only reason that we really do it. And I just, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to take that step. And, and I think the only way that they would is if the entire artifice of college basketball comes under serious, serious threat. And I don't know if that happens necessarily with this case. I mean, I think what people want with college basketball is they want college basketball like it was in the early 80s or the mid 80s. You know, they want that the great the great Big East, you know, you're around four years or the great like early 90s. You know, well, it, was, it was crooked then, too. It of just course it, it was. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, I mean, that's that's like people want they want a, a bygone era that was far more crooked than they wanted to believe that it was. And I mean, look, there's certainly an argument to be made that it didn't hurt anything in the big scheme of things and Mm -hmm. that the FBI shouldn't be pursuing uh, the enforcement of terrible amateurism rules that disadvantage athletes. I mean, I I, I get both of those arguments, but, but in in terms of the actual sport of college basketball, unless you've got a good sense of the history of it and how it worked, you know, what you argue for in the present, as far as, well, these guys need to be locked up because we don't have any, any, time for cheaters then tell the whole sport cheats you're gonna end up locking everybody up and you're gonna still be at the same square that you're currently at now yeah and it's and uh, yeah Uh, and i mean i think it just comes down to at the end of the day the the amount of money involved is much greater than it is so that's that sense of inequity i think is is better between players coaches schools administrators um is much greater now than it was back you know, 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s, just the the billions of dollars that CBS and Turner and ESPN are pouring into the NCAA. Um, I did like your, did you get any good answers? So I think it was a Twitter or Facebook thread, uh, defend amateurism. Um, Was was it a threat? I know a thread, a thread. thread. Well, I guess it was Um, kind of a threat to certain. It was a threat too. Yeah. I, uh, my, my idea was my defensive amateurism was the polo shirts look really sweet. Like the long sleeve rugby shirts with like the white starched collars that I always picture like athletes at Cambridge wearing or walking around like that. I was I thought that was the closest thing we could get. Well, okay, so the, the, so what what he's talking about is um, I I posted something on Facebook a few days ago and it, it, the actual the actual words of it were justify amateurism. Justify. Okay, justify amateurism. Now let me read what the NCAA has on their website. Okay. For, for amateurism. So, okay, so, this, so this is our, our uh, what we're trying to justify here. This, this is idea. our core definition, okay? Right. Amateur competition is a bedrock principle of college athletics and the NCAA. Maintaining amateurism is crucial to preserving an academic environment in which acquiring a quality education is the first priority. In the collegiate model of sports, the young men and women competing on the field or court are students first athletes second. The NCAA membership has adopted amateurism rules to ensure the student's priority remains on obtaining a quality educational experience and that all of student athletes are competing equitably. All incoming student athletes must be certified as amateurs with global recruiting becoming more common. uh, Determining the amateur status of prospective student athletes can be challenging. In general, amateurism requirements do not allow contracts with professional teams, salary for participating in athletics, prize money above actual and necessary expenses, play with professionals, tryouts, practice, or competition with a professional team, benefits from an agent or prospective agent, agreement to be represented by an agent, delayed initial full-time college enrollment to participate in organized sports competition. Um, When asked in the FAQ here, what is... uh, Hold on, let me find it here. Um, 
No, I can't. Okay, there, there was there was another section, but it's on a different page. But anyway, um, to me, that that's a very strange definition because somehow the NCAA in their twisted logic here, and it, it's convoluted for a reason, obviously, decided that all of those things that were listed somehow mean that athletes are incapable of of um, getting a quality educational getting, experience or something like that. Or right. Obtaining right. a quality educational experience. Right. And, you know, so some of the responses that I got, uh, you know, I think are certainly arguments for maintaining sports at the collegiate level in a funding setting, but don't really go back to the conceptualization of amateurism as the NCAA themselves has laid it out. So for instance, um, so Steve Dittmore posts, without it, it would be professionalism. For every action, there exists an equal and opposite action, which I don't know if I totally buy because why does professional, what do professionalism and amateurism have to necessarily be? Why does amateurism has to be, have to be the opposite of professionalism? Right. um, The the core historical tenets of amateurism stretch back to, you know, this conceptualization that was cooked up in England in the 1800s, which was meant to keep the working classes from competing against the upper classes in, in uh, university athletics. Right. Uh, That's, that was the, the whole conceptualization of where the thing came from. Um, Lauren Smith, our friend of the pod, uh, in her statement on, on the Facebook page, not all sports have a viable pro option, which is true, but you don't necessarily have to have, uh, you know, quote unquote amateurism at the college level in order to ensure that people are able to compete at that level. Like it does, it's the idea that everybody has to be an amateur or that even college sports themselves have to be entirely amateur in nature. Right doesn't doesn't correspond over to this idea that well there isn't pro gymnastics or there isn't pro you know pro greco roman wrestling right um you know and so look i i think people took a good effort at trying to answer this um and then you have idiots like me posting smart ass comments about polo shirts um so for one thing, I think we should do a dramatic reading from the NCAA rule book every week. I think that was a really that's a that's a really good addition to our over here um I, 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 I find it, as you were reading that, and I know I haven't actually ever read the language, but I've heard enough of you know people writing about it, that basically the NCAA says amateurism is important because amateurism is important, and college athletes are amateurs because they've always been amateurs, and amateurs are important to college athletics because college athletics is about amateurism. Um, it's this real kind of circular logic to it. And, you know, look, if that, 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 that idea falls apart when you realize that any student can get a job, any non-student athlete can get a job and be a professional and also go to school. And are they, are they getting a, are they any more, um, what was the phrase? Like, can they not obtain a quality educational experience because they are professionals in another, in another realm? Like they're a professional reporter, professional photographer, professional pizza delivery person while they are, while they, while they are, while they are also at college. And it's just, it just, yeah, it gets back to this idea of, you know, what do we want college athletics to be? You know, it's a, that's, that's a really, I think it's a really cool and interesting way to, to think about it and, and, and kind of a starting place. you like, do we want college sports? What do we want it to be? Do we want it to be a minor league for the NFL and for the NBA? Do we want it to be, uh, 
what it was in the 1980s? Do we want it to be what it is now? Do we want it to be non-revenue and like a way for disadvantaged kids to potentially get a college education? Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think that if this case goes on and it does kind of snowball the way it potentially could, I think it could be interesting to to kind of start there and almost start over. Because like the, the way, the you know, I haven't studied too much about the history of the NCAA. I've read here and there on it. But it seems like it grew, you know, it's grown so much. And especially in the last two decades, it's grown so much in terms of money involved and in terms of revenue. And that, you know, it, you, you the, the the bigger problem here, I'm I'm all over the map here, but the bigger problem I think is what economic, you know, you think economically, you think incentive. What incentive does the NCAA and the member schools have to tear to stop the system? Well, they, they have none. They have none. They have, in fact, an economic incentive to maintain and keep going with what's happening. And I, you know, if you want to think about it economically, they probably won't change until they get to a point where the economic incentives lead them that they have to, or you know the Supreme court or or a justice department comes down and says, you must change your rules. And then well, they have legal. And if you're going to look, if there's going to be a moment that's going to cause the NCAA to change things, it's, it's, if something impacts men's college basketball, because that's the moneymaker. Yeah, it is the moneymaker. It is where I think somewhere between 80 and 90% of all the NCAA's revenue comes from is from the contract for, for the, the tournament, yeah. the men's basketball tournament. And that's, like from an organizational perspective, that's what keeps them afloat. Now, look, you could very easily, if the NCAA, the, the, the thing I think people need to realize is that the NCAA is both the collection of schools and also an enforcement arm that kind of operates outside of that, where they right. give the enforcement people this task, enforce our rule book, which is incre- increasingly Byzantine, and then don't give them tremendous amounts of support to actually go do so. So, uh, that's been the case with the NCAA for decades, and it'll continue to be that way as long as it's set up the way it currently is. Right. You know, if the NCAA's budget went away, that doesn't really impact the schools because all it would impact would be the tournament, and the tournament could easily be organized the same way that the uh, that the uh, the college football playoff is organized. The college football playoff is not organized by the NCAA. Right, it's, or- it's organized through a consortium of the conferences, and so. There's a backstop here for the, the the colleges. They could easily say, okay, well, no more NCAA. We're still going to have all these restrictions on athlete compensation. They're, you know, their, their main thing is that they don't want to have to pay taxes on a profitable enterprise so that, you know, mm-hmm. they can, it, within, within maintaining amateurism, they can maintain their nonprofit status in part. Um, they don't want to have to pay workman's compensation. They don't want to have to consider the, 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 the players as athletes. They want to consider them as, as students. Right. Because that's a different categorization. And they're going to fight to keep that tooth and nail because that's a lot of money. I mean, yeah. yeah, they have enough money that they would be able to pay for it, but they would rather not pay for it, which is why they spend so much money on so many other things. Right. And I think, you know, you, you bring up a good point. I think you kind of bring up a point that's interesting is well, how does the story get bigger and how does the scandal even grow if it grows from the FBI to the IRS? You know, if 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 the feds and if the FBI is like the one of the law enforcement, you don't want to see if the IRS starts getting involved and starts looking at this. And I don't know if they will. I don't know the legal machinations of that. But I'm thinking that if if this starts to get into a revenue and tax issue and, and they're doing this as like a not a it's not a tax dodge, but it's very much a, well, it's, kind I mean, of a tax dodge. it's kind of a tax dodge. But, you know, um, 
But yeah, and that, that that's when I think all of a sudden, like, again, you got to get to the, you know, it, and everything doesn't come down to economic incentives, but in a lot of ways it does. And I think that, you know, absent that, you know, I, I did find it interesting. Was it the Kentucky governor who came out and said that yeah. athletes should be paid, um, which is, you know, I agree with him. Um, also noteworthy, he's probably starting to provide legal cover for the other school in Kentucky, which has probably been paying players for a very long time. Um, but you know, I, and he's Republican too. And it's weird because, yeah, you, you would think, I, I think I saw Patrick Ruby tweet about this. You would think Republicans would be all over this idea of a free market and letting players uh, 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 do that and, and have that. But I don't know. It, it's, you know, part of the issue, I think part of the issue here is the framing of the debate. You know, right. because whenever you say athletes should be paid, then immediately right. you get the, well, are we going to pay all athletes? You know, down to, and then it's like, and it ends up being this cacophony of, well, we can't. Well, I, have, because I, have student loan. I have student loans. They shouldn't have to pay. Right. Which I think the, 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 the debate needs to be reframed into we should allow athletes the ability yes. to get paid. Because right. that's, that's what you're talking about here. Right. I mean, that's, that's the problem. The problem is not players aren't being paid. It's that their, their, earning, their earnings, so to speak, is capped at a full scholarship. Yeah. You can't get any more. And it's an artificial cap that's. I think unfair restraint of trade, I think, is is well, what it's been called. And, and look, I mean, I mean, I think even above and beyond that, you, you're, you know, in the, this college basketball scandal centers around the idea that there are a certain number of players every year uh, that are more valuable than the rest of the players in terms mm-hmm. of their value of getting them to a school. Uh, you know, there's a reason why you know, Auburn's willing to, or not, Auburn's a bad example here, but Arizona would be willing to pay $150,000 for a player or Miami would be able be willing to bid against them according to the indictment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether that's going through the shoe companies or whether, you know, whether it's a situation where it's directly from the school, in this case, it's the shoe companies because the shoe companies act as proxies based upon their contractual agreements. Um, mm-hmm. If you acknowledge the fact that, some players have more value than others in terms of what, you know, what it means to a program. You create a situation where, you know, where the, it's like the economy at large. I mean, some, some people get scholarships to go to colleges and others don't, just academic scholarships. Why do they get those scholarships? They get those scholarships because in the eyes of the institution, they are more valuable than the student that just gets admitted but has to pay their own way. Uh, right. you know, I mean, it's not like not everybody gets like at IU, not everybody gets a Wells scholarship or not everybody gets a, you know, a, gets to go to Harvard for free. It's the people mm-hmm. who the university values and says, look, your combination of academic acumen, whatever experience makes you more valuable. We're going to give you money that we wouldn't give somebody else. Um, right. Well, I mean, just extend that logic to to what we're talking about here. And, you know, if you it's not to say that it just has to be in college basketball. I mean, you could extend that to other sports, but the idea that that you just say blanket, no, we, we're not going to give any players the opportunity to make money off of their abilities or when they're in school to make money off of their likeness, to make money off of you know their YouTube channels, as we've seen with you know like right. the, the kicker at UCF and, and other situations – um, the idea that you're just going to say, we're not going to let you folks do that, but we're going to let everybody else in the university, whether they're on scholarship or not, do that. Right. It's, it's, it's not defensible. And, and it's funny right. because you go back to this athletes being able to get money. It always comes back to, well, you, then you'd have to pay everybody. And it's like, no, just let, let external forces pay people money. And then you don't have to worry about it. 
Right. You can, the school can make its determination and whether it will help hurt competitive balance. I mean, Kentucky's getting players St. Bonaventure can't get, you know, that's the, that's, you know, paying them ain't going to make it, it, it isn't going to make it any worse. I don't think so. Um, I don't know. I've been trying to keep up with the internet outrage machine today too. And, um, and yeah, it's, a. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's tough. I mean, it's so yeah. much, so much gets uh, so many issues that deserve legitimate debate are just getting hijacked and, and right. thrown into somebody else's bone pit of, you know, political or social desire. Well, and, uh, and, is, and, that too and long? is that too long for the title of the podcast? I can, I can make it work. Bone, um, bone, bone pit, pit of, of desire. desire. That's, a hell, that's a hell of a metal band. Yeah. I was going to say, I love them when they opened for Iron Maiden in 83. Um, I, uh, I was talking about this with a couple of students because a bunch of students for a class are doing a story about the taking a knee controversy. Like they have to do an issue story for a class and they come to me. Um, and it, it, you know, the media, the way media frames it gets into a thing too, because it very quickly, you know, all these stories kind of become a binary. They kind of become a yes or no, right? Do you agree with the, the kneeling for the national anthem? Yes or no. Do you agree uh, payers, players should be paid? Again, yes or no. Both the way it's framed wrong, but then kind of making it a making it that I agree or I disagree. And you know, these are you know, I think they, it masks and hides the idea of systemic issues right. that that need to talk about. And you know, do we need to? I don't know if we need to blow the NCAA up, but maybe we need to rethink, you know, uncouple the idea of college athletics from this ideal of, uh, of, you know, gentlemen athletes from England in 1890 or the idea of, you know, separate it, uncouple it from that and uncouple it from the idea of muscular Christianity. Yes. Go ahead, caller. I mean, yeah, thank you. Well, <laughs> and we need to wrap up here pretty soon, but I, I did think it was interesting that, of all people, Mike Shashetsky had some uh, interesting comments about college basketball and okay. how, how to fix it. Okay. Um, you know, so there were, let me, so if you go back and these comments were, I think from like maybe Monday, perhaps Tuesday. Um, okay. And his comment was the following. We are not running this, meaning college basketball, the way a billion dollar industry should be run. We try to put a circle into a square. That's what men's college basketball is. It's not a bad circle, but it can't be done like the square. Um, you know, uh, the, and this is from a Luke DeCock uh, article in the News Observer. Okay. Um, perhaps the most interesting among all of his comments was his condemnation of the NBA's one-and-done policy. His argument, players are getting paid before they go to college, so if they're going to end up in the NBA anyway, why make them adhere to the NCAA's amateur rules for one year for essentially no reason? If these kids are being recruited and doing that stuff, let them go. Let them continue to go in that. God bless them. They'll get an extra year in the NBA, and then the NBA has to be responsible for developing them. Um, but the thrust of all of Krzyzewski's arguments was the same. There's too much money in the entire sport of basketball for the NCAA to pretend there isn't. That isn't going to change. The question is whether the NCAA can or is even willing to adapt. Interesting. And, you know, I mean, I, I respect that. And I, yeah, I've had my quabbles, quibbles with, with Krzyzewski in the past on a number of issues. But I think he's right on the nose with this. I mean, yeah. the, there's so much money. And it's certainly it's in college football just as much as college basketball. But I think in college basketball, it's a lot more noticeable mm-hmm. because there's fewer players and because the – you know, the players matter more in terms of individuals in college basketball, not to say that football players don't matter, but there's a, there's 22 players on the field at one time versus 10 on the court. Right. Um, 
you know, and, and there's the money that's made is uh, it funds the NCAA. It funds a lot of different other sports at the schools. You have to look at that and you have to say, we need to make adaptations based upon the, the skyrocketing amount of money uh, that, that we've seen in this, in, in college basketball over the course of the last 20 years. I mean, it's, it is fundamentally a different business environment than it was 20 years ago, even 10 right. years ago. It's a fundamentally different environment. And yet the NCAA is still acting like it's 1997. And right. that makes no sense. No, it, it, it doesn't. And um, so it would be, you know, it'd be interesting to see if the story kind of peters out or if there's another round of investigations and other bigger names getting in. And, oh, my God, can you imagine the Internet if, like, Duke starts getting implicated in this? Or oh, Duke I know. Assistance? I, well, um, and that's, that's the thing. I think a lot of – there's a lot of North Carolina, Duke, uh, you know, there's a lot of big boys that – right. Um, if we, I mean, even, I mean, Arizona is kind of a remote case to some degree, but if, if those, if those teams start getting, um, uh, implicated or the people that work for them start getting implicated, you're going to start to see some pretty remarkable stuff happening, I think, in terms of the way that people evaluate college basketball and this overall scandal. Well, well, and interesting to think about coach K's comments in, in that light, you know, he can't if he starts playing too much a holier than now Duke pl- a play then they're gonna that's when you start seeing people that's when it opens up the incentive to well we're gonna roll on you because you're not better than anybody else but to have those comments in those way and I'm not suggesting that they're totally nefarious because I think he's right and I think he you know for all problems we have with Coach K he's a smart guy and I don't think he's a bad guy but yeah and now all of a sudden it's like. Well, who, who's the big boy they're going after? You know, is there a big guy they're going after or is it, you know, and, and, and it'd be apparent interesting to see with apparently tomorrow now what the NCAA says on North Carolina. And I know you are united with my Syracuse fan friends and hoping and can't waiting to see the hammer get dropped on Carolina. Except apparently they're not doing anything at all tomorrow. Not, oh, not tomorrow. Okay. I thought well, it was today. Well, well, okay. No, they're, they're not doing anything at all. Uh, oh, like okay. there's, there's apparently the, if, if the latest report I saw is accurate, they're not going to announce anything this week. Okay. Oh, so, okay. cause uh, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, 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 I just like seeing you get, you guys get, everyone gets so upset at Carolina and Carolina should be punished for it. But I just love Sy- my Syracuse friend fan friends are like, so absolutely invested in, uh, in Carolina going down and going down hard for this scan for, for well, the, uh, for the academic scan. And they should, I am a I Carolina think, fan. I should, I almost went to North Carolina, yeah. but they, they absolutely should get crushed for it. It's probably worse than most scandals. Cause it gets, I would argue that academic scandals are worse because they cut at the heart of the institution's purpose. You know, whatever you say for, for the money involved in, in basketball, you know, this, we're still institutions of higher learning and, and, um, and uh oh is um tom crean going to louisville is that going to happen are we going to have tom crean not this year no uh they they gave the 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 job to david paget who was the only assistant not named in the indictment which that how you hire internally uh, yeah right it's just amazing to me but whatever right. but uh, no I, I don't think we'll see tom crean going there anytime soon anyway. ah shucks all right so. we're gonna wrap it up thanks to all of you folks for listening in thanks to you brian uh as always a pleasure i will be back with brian sometime hopefully next week as we uncover more crime on our crime fighting <laughs> show the flip side 
<laughs> I like it. I like it. Can we, we come up with secret identities? Well, secret as you know. I don't need a secret identity, but I would like a cape. You got it. Okay, we'll make that work. <laughs> anyway, all right. For Brian Moritz, I'm Galen Clavia. Thanks for listening to The Flipside, folks. Stay tuned on iTunes and on Google Hangouts. We'll do another live show sometime soon, and we'll catch you folks on The Flipside. So long, everybody.